Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and we're going to be talking some waterfowl today. We have with us in the corner over there, Mr. Matt Schneider, Fargo Shields Outdoors. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good. I'm excited. All right, perfect. And we have Dustin Wolf from Smack'em Outdoors. How you doing today, Dustin? I'm doing great. Great. Better if you were in a waterfall blind, right? Hey, I was out this morning. I can't complain. Okay, nice. <laughs> Good to hear. Just uh, we'll get some we'll get some fresh information here, right? Absolutely. Well, tell us about your hunt. Well, I guess this morning wasn't all too successful. We we ended up getting four. We only had four show back up, but it looked a lot better last night. Okay. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of that. You know, you get, you see a bunch of flocks and then you think it's going to be a wonderful morning. And then all of a sudden it's like, they have different things in mind. That's why it's called hunting. Yes, exactly. So, (laughs) um, you know, talk to us a little bit about who you are and how you got into hunting. Well, my name's Dustin Wolf, as we covered, um, part of Smack'em Outdoors. And I got into hunting at a, a really young age. I, uh, I started hunting with my dad and grandpa and I, I fell in love with it. I shot my first duck when I was about, I think it was seven years old with 410. And it's, it's been uphill from there. What kind of duck was that? It was a blue wing teal with a 410. 410, blue so wing teal. So there was no luck involved in that, right? <laughs> Absolutely not, at the age of seven. Yes, no. pure skill. Yep. Um, I was skilled at the age of seven. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, okay. Talk to us a little bit about Smack Em Outdoors. So YouTube channel, uh, Instagram, are, are those your main platforms? I'd say those are our main platforms. Yeah, we also have uh, TikTok and some of the other stuff, Facebook, stuff like that. But we're most active on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, our main thing is just making hunting videos. I think that's our our, our niche on, on YouTube. Sorry. And... Uh, that's where most of our viewers come from is from uh, the hunting videos. But we, we do all kinds of outdoor stuff outside of that. We like to fill the summer in with a lot of fishing, camping, uh, just traveling around, doing stuff outdoors and getting out there. Mm-hmm. Nice. It is just wild how many people tune in to like the waterfall stuff on YouTube. Like I'll be browsing around and find something and it's got like 2 million views in two weeks. It's like there's some hardcore people that are super into that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have gotten into the waterfowl industry and just in the last, I'd say, 10 years, it's really blown up a lot. Yeah, yeah, especially in the last, I would say, even the last couple of years with COVID, um, you know, a lot of those hunters that started to go up to Canada, they used to make trips up there and then all of a sudden the border shut down. And then now we are starting to see a a pile of hunters in North Dakota, Minnesota, all around this Midwest region. And now they're realizing, man, we don't have to go up to Canada to shoot birds now, do we? Mm. We could just go to North Dakota and go hang out with those North Dakota boys. Hey, don't be talking about how good North Dakota hunting is. North Dakota hunting is not good. If you are watching this and listening to this, do not come. It's not good. (laughs) All our videos were filmed in Canada. There we go. See, sweet. (laughs) 
Nice. Um, you know, for somebody that wants to like get into the YouTube game, like, can you explain a little bit like how you started and how you like gained traction with it? It honestly doesn't take a whole lot to start a YouTube channel. I mean, a GoPro and today's smartphones, you could start making videos with just that. I mean, the GoPro covers the action and if you're going to do any vlogging on your videos, you can do it right off your iPhone. Uh, as far as gaining traction, just I'd say TikTok is a great place to start with that. Okay. TikTok has all kinds of opportunity to blow up and it's fairly easy to get a lot of views on TikTok. Um, I've seen quite a few people do it that way. We just started by posting videos on YouTube back in 2016, 2017 when we were in high school and started getting views and kept up with it. As long as you stay consistent, it seems like you just start getting more and more views and people catch on and spread the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be energetic, be entertaining, hopefully shoot some stuff actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the one thing like on your guys' YouTube channel, the one thing that I really like watching is that you guys are so authentic with everything. Like there's so many people out there that post online and they're either saying, oh, this is a third hunt this year with over a hundred birds or something like that. You know, they're always, it seems like they're always killing birds and they're always like being successful. And not to say that you guys aren't killing birds and being successful, but you guys are always authentic about it. You guys are authentic about the field that you're hunting, authentic about how the birds were reacting. They weren't always coming in boots down, but we had to take the shot when we needed to type deal. So that's one thing I really do appreciate about your guys' videos. Yeah, we're not scared to show it how it really is because everyone deals with the same stuff. Exactly. Not, not every bird finishes perfectly in the kill hole. And I mean, you want them to every time, but yep. it just, it doesn't happen like that. You get your flocks in the morning when it's still pretty dark out that are doing it nice. And then maybe later in the day, they start skirting the decoys on the edge a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. And we show it all. Birds will be birds, man. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's called hunting. There we go. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, as we're filming this, we're kind of in that transition period between like some states early season hunts and then when waterfall actually kicks off uh just talk to us a little bit about your early season uh what you had success with what maybe was a little bit different from normal years uh this early season definitely was different than other years it was pretty dry this year so a lot of the grain wasn't matured yet this year and it didn't come off as early as other years and there's a lot less fields to choose from around that August 15th goose opener time. So it was, it was a lot harder getting on stuff as there's a lot of people coming from out of state, a lot of people in state getting out because we have the, that early season starts August 15th and it's the earliest season in the United States. So everyone comes here to scratch the itch and start their season off. And with a lot less fields being cut this year, it was, was kind of difficult getting on fields and, and just having enough places for everyone to go. There's only so many birds, resident birds in North Dakota on August 15th. We don't really have any migration birds yet. So that was one challenge we, we dealt with this early season, but we had a lot of success in the fields that were cut because they only had so many options to go to. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. You restrict the places that they can land and, you know, yep. the odds yep. go up a little bit. Um, what about like calling and decoy strategies? Was that any different from years past? No, we, we kind of just stick to the bread and butter early season. You don't have to do a whole lot of calling. They're not real vocal yet. They're family groups with the decoys, so spread them out, leave it loose, leave, leave gaps for them to land in, big open pockets. They're not all, all packed together like they will be in November when they 
are feeding hard and there's 4,000 birds in a field, there's maybe only 75 in a field that you might be hunting and they're spread out across 200 yards. So mm -hmm. just try and replicate that with the decoys and giving them a cluck here or there to try and steer them towards where you want them to go. Makes sense. So with like kind of the egg conditions being a little different, weather conditions being a little different, how's that going to affect your strategy coming into like the main season? Coming into the main season, we've seen a lot more fields come off. We, I know we just finished up our weed up at the farm and uh, most other places are close to, if not finished already with wheat. So that shouldn't be a problem heading into duck opener. There's uh, plenty of fields to go around now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've been, I mean, you could probably attest to this, but a lot of like edibles are starting to come off too. Mm -hmm. So like your pinot beans, your peas are starting to come off. And I don't understand what the deal is, but a lot of those fields have been coming off and I'd guess that there's going to be a decent amount of birds in those. Oh yeah, they love those because they're, they're just so flat. There's no way for predators to sneak up on them. It's, there's no stubble out there. It's hard to hunt them in those kind of fields. Um, all right, ducks or geese? Only can hunt one of them rest of your life. Which one are you picking? Geese, 100%. 100%. And why is that 100%? There's something about a, a big goose backpedaling right in front of your face and the decoys. It just, it does it for me mm -hmm. where, the, where the ducks don't. I feel like goose hunting is more of a challenge than duck hunting. Would you agree with me on that, Matt? I would agree 100%. And, and the numbers too. The numbers are so like different. If, if you find the same amount of geese in a field as ducks, you're going to be looking at like a 10,000 bird feed. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. ducks just group up so much more and you're going to see so many of them in the mornings. And we always typically do during early season and this mid part of the season, but geese, like they're not thick in numbers. Like there's a lot of them out there, but you're not going to find a ton of big honks until that late season mark. Mm -hmm. Yep. The, the other thing I really like about geese is that they respond to calling, I think, a lot more than ducks. And I really enjoy that because I like blowing my goose call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, do, who doesn't like blowing that call in the blind? Just really getting after it. Just annoying all the guys that don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about time of year? Like, if you can only hunt two weeks out of the year, what's it going to be? Well, since I said geese, I'm going to have to go with the first two weeks of September. That's prime molt migration season for big Canada geese. And that's when you get to blow your call the most too, is because they're coming over sky high. I mean, literally a mile high. And you flag at them, you call your heart out, and sometimes they come down. That's okay. cool. So if, some of the listeners might not know what molt migration is. Can you kind of dive into that and explain what that is? So a molt migrating goose is typically, and I say typically because it's not always, it's typically a two to three year old goose that has either failed reproduction or doesn't reproduce at all yet. It's not mature enough. It can sometimes be an old bird that also doesn't reproduce anymore, a 10, 12, whatever year old may, bird it may be. But it's a goose basically that doesn't have a family to take care of. So instead of staying down south in the States or southern Canada, it will go up to the Arctic and eat these nitrogen rich plants that are growing up there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And once those 
plants stop growing here in the first and second weeks of September, you see a large push of those geese come down into the states to all these grain fields that are getting cut. So if you time it up with a cold front and a north wind, you can really get under some good migrating geese. Nice. Have you noticed like a size difference between these molt migrators and your traditional migrating goose? I mean, we shoot anything from the little, I'm not going to say cacklers because that's West Coast, but the lesser Canada geese where they're probably a five or six pound bird. We shoot anything from that size to, I'm going to say a 12 pound bird. So it's any and all geese that just don't have those families that they have to stay with and take care of all summer long. Okay, gotcha. And they're more receptive to calling then? Absolutely. They're more receptive to calling and they're more receptive to your decoys where the local resident geese that we have here in North Dakota all summer long, they like to stay in their family groups and sometimes will shortstop your decoys and land 100 yards away where those molts, they like to be right where the calling is, right where all the other birds are. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? I think that's just because that's what they were doing all summer long. They, they group up up in the Arctic on the tundra there, and they're feeding in large numbers up there. So they're already used to it compared mm -hmm. to the resident geese have been feeding with just their family group all summer long. Okay. So it's more like a, I don't have a family and now people want to pay attention to me, so I'm just going to join every group I can or what? Yeah, pretty much. I okay. Mean, Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm not super familiar with this molt migrator concept. I mean, like I've heard of it, but I don't know like all the ins and outs. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. It is. It's my absolute favorite kind of bird hunting is when you get to pull those migrators down on a north wind day. Mm -hmm. It's like it's those first cool days of fall. It really starts to feel like hunting season and they do it better than any other bird all year long i'd say okay and is when is that point between like when you first locate them to finally getting that moment like oh these guys are done for like when do you first realize that i think it's when early season you're watching the birds and you know there's that cold front coming and they start to trickle in a little bit. Usually there's a couple of days before the main front where they, you'll get a small trickle of birds and you'll start to see your feeds build. You'll see a feed go from 75 birds to the next day there's 100 in it. The next day there might be 120. And then that cold front, if you go out there and set up, you could see anywhere from three to 400 birds just out of nowhere. They haven't been in the area all season and they just, they're there and you know, it's go time. Mm-hmm. I, I should have been a little bit more clear in my question because I was I was actually wondering like when they're actually flying, like when you when you first locate a flock that's like going around till like the point where you know that they're there committed. Like, how do you realize that's happening? Their wings basically stop moving. And they start dropping out of the sky. Okay. You can sometimes hear them vocally. They get really excited and start getting loud and coming down. And uh, that's when that's usually when you know. Okay. I mean, I'm glad that you can figure that out. Usually, when we're pulling molt, mig uh, molt migrators, I don't even have a second to think. I'm the only one usually in our group that can blow a goose call halfway decent. I'm not even going to say I'm good, but it's like halfway decent where I don't even have a second to breathe. 
I'm not thinking about anything. I'm like, just keep calling and then wait until someone else says take them. I'm like almost passing out when they call the shot because I'm just so out of air. Seeing stars as they're backpedaling. Exactly. So that just gives you an excuse when you miss, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I was all lightheaded from blowing all that call, helping you guys get all your geese. That's what I, I'm going to start using that actually. Okay. Thank you. All right. I hope they're not listening to this. You can add that to the list. What's that going to be? Number 15. Ooh, shots fired. Shots fired. I, I have a list, an excuse list. I'm up to 72. 72. Yeah. Nice. I don't even say the excuse anymore. I just say the number. People just know. Yeah. I love Why'd that. you miss that one? Uh, number six. <laughs> Love it. What's the most common excuse? Oh, it's got to be the sun, right? The sun? It's got to be the sun. Yep. Sun was in my eyes. Yep. Mm, That's number one on the list. Okay. Okay. Sun sun was in my eyes or uh, before I picked up, I picked up a new shotgun uh, last year um, and it is commonly referred to as the Benelli Click. Mm, mm -hmm. I love my Benelli. Love my Benelli M2. But sometimes when I'm loading up and I don't fully engage that shell, that's when you get that Benelli click. Mm -hmm. And you can hear it. Like when someone has a Benelli click happen in the blind, you hear it click and everyone just screams out, it's a Benelli click. Watch out, it's the Benelli click. (laughs) And that is solely operator. Oh, 100%. When your chamber doesn't get all the way closed and then your firing pin doesn't hit your shell. Yep. And it happens with Remington's, Beretta's, Mm -hmm. uh, Stoker's, Franke's, every brand across the board. It is completely operator air. Yep. (laughs) People just like to blame Benelli. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, they're well known. So something you can be proud of there. Maybe (laughs) not necessarily a Benelli click, but to have that name recognition where you're the first one they think of. Exactly. <laughs> I guess whatever works. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, decoy strategy. So um, what's your favorite type of decoy setup or does it vary? I assume it varies based on like your location, um, what sort of birds you saw the night before. Just kind of dive into your thought process. A lot of times you just want to try and replicate what you saw in the field. As far as early season goes, uh, once you start getting into mid and late season, most people don't have 10,000 decoys or the time to set out 10,000 decoys. So that's not realistic to replicate, but you want to try and replicate how they're feeding, whether they're close together, spread out a little bit, or if they're in a certain part of the field every day, you see them in that same spot of the field, you want to try and set up in that spot. Uh, When we're chasing molten migrators, we like to cover 200 yards of the field we like to make throw a huge spread i mean upwards of 50 dozen or more sometimes um just to try and have more decoy pulling power to those birds when they're way up in the sky so they can actually see you that you're not trying to replicate anything you can go out and hunt a field that you didn't see a single bird in and just hope that birds are migrating over you Mm -hmm. that's that's a little different you just want to throw a lot of decoys with that and leave a, a pocket open right in front of you so that they have a spot to land. Um, as far as chasing feeds, you, like I said, you just want to replicate what you've seen in the field and where they're at in the field. Is there ever any situations where you don't replicate what you've seen? Uh, yeah, a lot of times when you try and hunt a field that doesn't have a good spot to hide out in the middle, 
you'll end up going to the edge of the field for a grass row or whatever it may be. There's just better hiding opportunity on the edge of the field a lot of time. And in that case, I like to set the decoys out about 20 yards from the, from the blinds. So they're not looking at that edge. A lot of times they get uncomfortable if they're too close to an edge. Mm -hmm. um, and you like to set your decoys out a little farther. And when I'm running those edge hides, I like to do kind of just a J, like a, a long line and then a blob of decoys on the end of the long line. And a lot of times they'll, they'll fly up that line and land right before that blob. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned hide. Um, Talk to us a little bit about hide strategy. There's a lot of ways to go about your hide. Um, you can do A-frames, you can do panel blinds, you can do layouts, you can do ghillie blankets. There's a lot of different ways to approach it, and it all comes down to personal preference, I think. You can run an A-frame in the middle of a wheat field if you really want to, and it works. I've done it. Um, at the same time, you can run a layout. But a lot of times you end up hunting tilled fields that you don't have a lot of hide. So you either have the edge hide option or you have the middle of the field option. And in that case, I like to do tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds are awesome. You can find them all over North Dakota. You go to any fence line and they'll be stacked up against that fence line. And they cover a lot of space. They're bushy. They break up the blinds really easily. It's probably the easiest way to cover your blinds. And it looks natural because we have so many of them around and it's not actually tumbleweeds it's kosha and i just want to make it clear that if you bring kosha into the field you should always take it out because the farmers 100%. will get extremely upset if you leave it out there mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense it just comes back to respect and you know leaving a place better than what you found it yep absolutely mm -hmm. so how about, so I'm, I'm curious about A-frames. So, I mean, like, I know the concept, I understand it, but I've never hunted out of one. So give me, uh, give me the review on A-frames. I absolutely love them. I think everyone's shooting is a lot better out of an A-frame. You don't have to pop up and open your doors up out of a layout. You're not getting hung up on doors or stubble or anything like that popping out of a layout. Um, I'd say the only disadvantage is if the birds come over the top of the A-frame and you don't have it stubbled up enough on top, they can sometimes see down right into the top. They'll see the dark shadows in between there. Mm -hmm. And that would be the only disadvantage to it. Um, other than that, I think they're absolutely awesome. You can run large amounts of people comfortably in there. It's awesome late season. You can run heaters inside there. You have tons of space. You can sitting upright in a chair all day long if you're sitting out there all day. Um, I love hunting out of A-frames any chance I get. Mm -hmm. And they're especially good for like bringing new hunters and kids out there. Absolutely. You're able to help the people next to you. They're sitting as we are right now on chairs right next to each other. So you can, if you got a youngster, whoever it may be, you can help them out and just keep things flowing. Mm -hmm. Do, are they a little bit of a hassle for like set up, tear down, stuff like that, or not too bad? I think they're awesome setting up and tearing down. I mean, once you do it once or twice, it's the same system over and over. You take all your bars and you just roll them up in the, the sheets and whatever strap you got for it, strap it and throw it in the trailer. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, pretty simple once you do it a couple of times. If I were to put a stopwatch on you, how fast could you set up an A-frame? <laughs> set up in stubble or just set up? Just get it set up. I think I could probably set up an A-frame in 
five minutes. Five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Is that just you or with another guy? I think I could do it by myself in five. Okay. What about if you and Schneider went at it? Think you could do it in three and a half? I think so. I think I think we could do it in two, honestly. Two? Yeah. I, I think so. Like A-frames, they're, they're actually really, really easy to set up. Uh, the bars are very easy to put in place, uh, put the wind supports, depending on whatever brand that you're actually running. Probably the longest part that um, takes in setting up an A-frame is that first time of the year when you have to actually stubble like each side. Mm-hmm. That's going to take the longest time. Um, but usually... And I don't know if it's because I'm lazy or if it just works, but I usually just stuff each side once every year. And I do it with, um, you know, that mid green kochia. So that way it starts to die off at the same time as, you know, normal kochia that's actually in the fields. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way it stays that same color pattern and you can use it literally the rest of the year. Yep. And I highly recommend taking it out at the end of the year. This last year, I did not do it, and I just did it last weekend. It was nasty. Yep. It was nasty. Yep. <laughs> do not leave it in there. That's a, that's a pro <laughs> tip right there, folks. That is a pro tip. It's good to get a good layer on it early in the season, and you can always add to it if it falls off or gets beat up later. But it is nice to have that first layer of the year. Do it good the very first time you do it in the year and that stuff will all brown up as everything else is turning brown and it works pretty well all right guys i want i want some story time i want to hear your most memorable duck or goose hunting story okay i want one from each of you who wants to go first i'll take this one because i actually just experienced probably one of my most memorable hunts and how many years you've been hunting uh i mean i've been going out since i was three okay i've been shooting a gun since i was seven or eight okay so you got a like a couple of decades worth of hunting here and you've recently just had your favorite memory i think so yeah okay it was was pretty crazy Um, all right well let's hear it i just recently got back from canada I was up there for 10 days, and where I was, there's not a whole lot of snow geese yet. It's still early September, which is normal. There's not a whole lot of snow geese around yet. And we had found a feed. There's a whole bunch of speckle bellies, Canada's, lessers, ducks, all kinds of stuff. And they were feeding in a pea field that we couldn't get permission on. So we got permission on the wheat field that was right next to it and decided to run a little traffic out there. We woke up that morning, not all too excited because we'd been hunting the X all week and we were where they wanted to be and we didn't know how it was going to go in the wheat field. So we were kind of dragging our butts that morning going out there we're like, eh, it might turn out, it might not. It's just a traffic hunt. We go out there, set up, and the very first flock just comes straight to us, goes straight over the pea field straight to us. And we're like, oh, this might, this might work out pretty <laughs> okay. good. So they continued to come and... Uh, Shot a bunch of specs and in Canada's, but there was about 30 snows out there the day before, and we we did throw out some snow goose decoys because we were really gonna gonna try and shoot some white birds, so we were excited about that and hoping they'd show back up and actually come to us after all the other ones had already come. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden we hear them. We hear the snows; they have a very distinct sound compared to any other waterfowl, 
and we hear them, and we look up, and their wing set coming in, about a 15-pack. They circle once and dump right into the decoys. We shoot them, we drop, I think, six out of the first group. We, I walked out and picked them up. One of them was banded. So that's a huge trophy in itself. We were super excited. I had never seen a snow goose band in person before. That was the first one I'd ever seen held, anything like that. I was absolutely stoked. I'm walking back to the blind, and I hear more. Turn around, it's a flock of about nine of them coming straight for us. I run into the blind, throw the birds in the blind, sit down, I'm out of breath. I get my gun reloaded just in time for them to be setting, the de- setting into the decoys again. We pulled up, and we dumped eight out of the nine of those. Oh, nice. Go out, pick them up. I pick up the first one, banded. Like, no way. We got two. Go to the next one, banded. No way. We've got three. Sam picks up another one next to me, another one. We got four. Out of those eight that we dropped, three of them were banded out of that flock. So we're sitting at four snow goose bands now, and we're absolutely stoked. There's only four of us in the blind. We're all sitting at a band apiece right now. Absolutely stoked. Sit in the blind for another 20, 30 minutes. It's probably 7.45, 8 o'clock. Flight's starting to slow down a little bit. See another flock of snow geese coming. We're like, no way. We're going to shoot another band. We're all hyped. We're like, this, this whole group out here has got to be banded, right? It's a whole family group. There's only 30 of them out here. So we had seen a 15-pack, a 9-pack, and we get like the last 10 or so to come. And we pulled up and we dropped, I think, six or seven out of that next group. And I, I dropped one that was about three feet out the end of the A-frame. We run in an A-frame, and it lands about three feet out my door. I look over and I go, boys, we got another one. <laughs> <laughs> it was laying belly up with his legs sticking up with a shiny band right on it. Absolutely incredible. We shot five, five snow goose bands, and it was my first time ever seeing a single one even. That's nuts. Okay, that that's, nuts. that's pretty wow. good. That's a solid story. All right, Matt. You made me go after that? That's well, <laughs> you know what? Actually, I could... So this is... I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but I'll call it my most memorable waterfall hunt. So in a previous job, I used to, I used to work for a company that would like bring vendors in and do like pheasant hunts, waterfall hunts, bow hunts, stuff like that, just to, for like entertainment purposes and, you know, like building relationships and stuff. So this one morning I was asked to help with a, um, waterfall hunt, mostly like there, there were a lot of ducks coming into this field, but there were, you know, some geese too. So, um, we, uh, <laughs> we went and we're starting to set up and like, granted th- these guys like will hunt waterfall like once a year on average, like maybe some of them like have never gone out before. So we got like some, some greenies in the group. So I drive my truck out there to, you know, set up in the field and we're getting all the stuff set up and we'd forgot something in like another truck that had like a trailer, like way back out, you know, like quarter mile away from the field or whatever. And, um, so I hop into my truck to go grab whatever we'd forgotten. I can't remember now, but, um, I start driving forward and then all of a sudden I hear, chunk 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 
somebody had taken all of our robo ducks and set them right on the front of my truck, like right below the hood so I couldn't see them. So I ran over all seven of our uh, robo ducks and <laughs> completely destroyed them all. We spent like the next hour trying to like jimmy rig some of them to get them moving. But uh, yeah, and we didn't really shoot anything that day. I think that's one you don't really want to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's one of the ones that you never forget. Yep. Yep. So you can follow up that story. That's not an expensive mistake either. No, that's no. That's not a cheap mistake, I no, should say. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So what you're saying is if you ever come out on a waterfall hunt this fall to never set anything in front of your vehicle. Yeah, don't set anything in front of your vehicle when you're setting up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I guess I do have one. Uh, I was going to do a band story. Uh, but I don't want to say my band story anymore because you you just blew it out of the water. That's an awesome story. Uh, but I do I have another one. This happened probably three four years ago. Uh, I had a couple of buddies come in from out of state. Uh, they're more fishermen. Uh, they're really big in the industry, and they decided you know what let's give this waterfall thing uh, a try. And you know a few of them have been out waterfall hunting. They've traveled a couple times, but anyway, uh, we're probably mid the migration path right now. So like you're seeing a ton of lessers, you're seeing a ton of big honks, speck bellies, a lot of ducks, like there's a ton of birds around. And I scout mm. the field and you know, these guys have never shot in specks before. They've never shot in lessers. They're mainly ducking like big honks. So I tell them, I'm like, hey, you know, we got a pretty big feed. There's there's a couple couple specks out there, decent amount of lessers and a lot of ducks. Let's let's just go see how it goes. And we go out there, and sure enough, like first flock in the morning, we're all sitting there, and you know like how everyone's like out of the blind, and you're sitting there looking at your phone or you're talking to everyone. And there was a slight hill behind us, so and that's where all the birds were kind of coming from. They were coming from kind of like our back right, uh, back left corner, and sure enough, like you hear that like distinct speck call the la la. (laughs) That was pretty good, wasn't it? (laughs) I've heard worse. (laughs) But we hear that distinct speck call and it sounds like it's like right there and it just hit shooting light. So there's 11 of us and we all are like just doing, like we're doing cartwheels to get into the blind. We're diving, like trying to get in there as fast as possible. And this flock of specks came right over right over that hill, like two feet above it, and just like almost skimmed right above our blinds and just did it perfectly. And, you know, these guys uh, have never shot in specs. So uh, they pull up, they were very choosy on which spec that they were gonna shoot. Uh, I think we ended up shooting like 10 out of that flock or something like that. Um, but those guys, I mean, they were jacked. Absolutely. They pick out, pick out a couple of them and they're like, be careful with this one. We're gonna mount this one. And I think like four birds from that flock ended up getting mounted and uh, like at that point it was already a successful hunt it was it was an awesome hunt i'm like whatever happens the rest of the day happens well we didn't see really much of the geese uh i don't know what like happened with the lessers but we did have one flock and it happened it happened to be like almost a hundred bird flock like it had to have been 80 to 100 i couldn't even tell but 
Uh, I've never had that big of a flock like spin, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm always the advocate of take them when you got them. Like if you're on the left side, if you have a shot, take them. If they're flying over us and they're in range, let's take them, you know, because you I've had so many birds like look like they're about to come down and do it. And then they just get up and fly away. Lessers especially. Exactly. So this flock and this flock comes over us and they're in shooting range. They're probably like 40 yards above us and they're kind of just like floating there. So I scream out the shot and, you know, we didn't really get that many out of them. I think we dropped like, I think around that 10 mark again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, some out of that flock, you really hope to drop a pile of them. So I'm kind of like down on myself. I'm like, man, should I have let them, should I let them spin? Maybe come in like down to the boots, you know? And, you know, uh, we go out there and we're like, all right, let's go pick them up. And the first goose that ended up getting picked up, my buddy from Minnesota picks it up and goes, oh my goodness, what did we shoot? And, you know, when you hear the words, what did we shoot? It's like, oh, God, what did we actually <laughs> yeah, shoot? A, like, kind oh, of stops no. your breath there. And I look over there, and it looks like he's holding a snow goose. And I go walking up there, and I, like, get a little closer. I'm like, oh, my. Oh, did we just shoot, like, an albino or a Lewistic? And sure enough, like, I get it in my hands, and it was a Lewistic lesser goose. That's awesome. So... Like, that just made our entire day. It made their entire trip. Uh, and that bird is actually at my buddy's house. We we had a drawing. You know, normally for bands, you have a band drawing. Mm-hmm. The specs, I didn't really care about. Like, they, you guys can mount them, do whatever. And I'm like, man, I, I would really like to mount that one. Like, there were people wanting to draw for to pay 800 to to $1,000 to mount this bird. You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime type deal. Yeah. Um, so my buddy won it and he ended up taking one of the specs and then a regular lesser goose that we got. And he's got them all three mounted together on like a dead mount on a piece of dry wood, uh, or like driftwood. So that one stuck with me quite a bit cause I've never seen anything like it. That's awesome. I, I have been haunted by one of those geese actually. No. Did I bring up a bad memory? <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Well, now you're, we gotta hear it. Living my dreams. Now, now we gotta hear it. So I actually found one of those. It was a big Canada goose, and it was like ghost white, like that. Like it had the the coloration in all the right spots, but it was all just super faded looking. It looked like a ghost among the other geese. Yep. And I watched this thing, like every day for like two weeks, and it would never go to the same feeds. Never tried hunting it probably four or five times and it just never showed up to the feed that it was in the day before i just it, it would go back to the same roost every day it'd go back to the same spot and like on the water i didn't want to shoot it there it just didn't feel right exactly well actually i couldn't shoot it there it was right in front of a green elevator <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out <laughs> <laughs> but it would never go to the same field even morning and evening it wouldn't go to the same field i swear and I, I really wanted to shoot that bird. I have videos of it on my phone if you want to see later. It's the goose that haunts your dreams it, now. The ghost goose haunts me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. Uh, all right. Well, that was, uh, that was a few pretty good stories there. Um, how about we close this out with, uh, I'd like one good tip from each of you guys. Like, Schneider, I want you to give just a, a standard general tip that could be good for anybody 
and um, and then I'd like you to give one that's maybe a little more advanced, maybe something people that you know hunt a decent amount but might overthink it. Want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Probably, and I've talked to you about this, uh, but probably the biggest thing that I tell everyone is just make sure, like, when you guys do go out, to just have fun when you're out there. Uh, And that could go, like, as an expert tip, too, you know. uh, A lot of us know what we're doing. We know how to scout the birds, put the birds to bed, where to hunt them in the morning. You know, hide's crucial. Got to make sure everything's stubbled. You could literally do everything right. You could do everything from A to Z correct on that list, and birds will still be birds. They could get up. They could migrate. They could go feed in a different field. You know, they could change up their pattern and, you know, be one step ahead of you. So probably my biggest tip is have fun. Enjoy the sport for why you got into it, and don't be a grouch when the birds don't do it the way that you wanted them to do it. I used to be that way, but I've been telling myself for the past couple of years that birds are going to be birds. You're going to be successful out there no matter what. Just make sure to go out there and have fun. Absolutely. And I, you've told me that before. Mm-hmm. And since you've told me that, I've really tried to focus on that. Perfect. Like, it, it, it does make a difference. If you go out there with the mindset to be, you're out there to have fun. You're not out there just to, to kill. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're out there because you enjoy it. So enjoy it. Exactly. You know, if you're going to wake up at 3 a.m., you better enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you wake up at 3 a.m. to do it, you probably already enjoy it. But you gotta you gotta enjoy it while you're there. No, no matter what happens in the field. Exactly. Perfect. All right. You know, for those that want to follow along, uh, check out your YouTube channel. Can you just uh, let us know how to how to find you, how to follow you? Yeah, we're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, all under. Smack them outdoors. Um, S-M-A-C-K-E-M, outdoors. All right, perfect. And then Matt over there, follow along at Fargo Shields Outdoors. Yeah, Fargo Shields Outdoors on Instagram. Uh, we're trying to stay up to date with all the latest stuff, kind of like what you guys are, you know. Uh, we're in the middle of changing seasons, so a lot of hunting, a lot of fall fishing, maybe even sprinkling some ice fishing. I don't know. Weather up here is so dependent. Like, you'd never know what you're going to be doing the next week. We mm-hmm. could be ice fishing next week, Mike. We, we could be. No. Yeah, yes, we could be. I still got no. tags. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in hunting mode until those are filled, unless I just run into some serious struggles, and then I just need to take a break and take all my anger on some fish. But I'm hoping to save ice fishing for mid-November at least. All right, fine. I'll be catching all the big slew tigers without you guys then. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Send me you pictures. Do I'd like to see <laughs> Will do. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, to everybody out there, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.